Hi, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Unscripted Equity Curiosity, hosted by Hedgeye Communications. That's me, Andrew Friedman, alongside Hedgeye Tech, Ami Joseph, and Hedgeye China, Felix Wang. Today, we're going to talk about the Reddit trade, meme stocks, and the influence ARK is having on the markets. Uh, we have a lot to talk about, but I will hand it off to Ami to kick us off. Thanks, Andrew. Um, hey, everybody. So, I have a lot of thoughts in this area, and as usual with Unscripted, I don't really know where this is going to take us, and Andrew's probably going to interject and take it in a different direction also. So I guess strap in and, and let's go. Um, there's something about the Reddit trade, um, Kathy, I think is part of this and, at ARC, um, that is like, you know, kind of like democratizing to some degree, which is, you know, hey, institutional money managers and institutional research people don't get to decide um, what's a great stock, what's a great investment idea. There's lots of us out there who have brains and are maybe smart and good at this and all kinds of things, and we can do this. Um, and all of that, I think, is awesome. Um, that kind of dispersion of research, the dispersion of demand for figuring this stuff out, um, like, you know, I always go back to the and this is obviously very look-back based, but, you know, what is the Apple, what is the IBM of the world, and figuring out which is which and wanting to be long one and short the other, or at least avoid the second one if you're doing short. That's all, that's open to everybody to do. Peter Lynch, you know, famously talked about this a long time ago, that anybody can invest. Uh, just, you know, talk, focus on things that you really understand and you can really kind of like have outsized opinions on and, and really kind of um, influence. You know, if you uh, are an air uh, if you travel by air in the United States, for example, from any time in the last 40 years, you probably noticed that Southwest is like the easiest, best experience and all that kind of stuff. So maybe you've, you've been long Southwest and short everything else. Um, so it's just ways of, of building investment portfolios that are like that uh, from that perspective. So I'm all on board with it. Um, but there's also kind of like a darker side of, I guess you'd call it like a pump and dump where – People are like, yeah, let's go, let's jump in. And it's literally buying, it's casino, right? This table's hot. Let's go, let's put dollars down. There's no, it has nothing to do with the underlying security. Um, it's just, this is going higher, let's go in. I mean, it's, you see that in crypto also, but like this is, it's definitely, and it's hard to imagine that not ending badly, right? Because it's just going up because it went up yesterday, and so people are like, well, it's going up more. Um, that goes to a point, and then it goes to <laughs> the opposite happens, and somebody gets left holding the bag, and liquidity widens on the way up and squeezes on the way down, and so you know, your, exit pro your exit ability on the way down is also um, diminished, even though, just as much as your buying opportunity on the way up is, is accelerated. So um, there's, there's all kinds of like, flash risk points that like I guess I've seen too many times in my life um, that some kind of liquidity event happens in the marketplace that could be organic it can be government instituted and then it finds its way into all kinds of different things and it pops those bubbles like they really like things go crazy and it's great to, if you're there and you make money on a bubble that's forming that's fantastic you know by some you know luck of the draw but um, it's very, very dangerous. So that's, I, you know, I would say that's kind of like a thought on Reddit. I, I guess I could comment separately on, on some Cassie stuff that relates to tech, but like me, Andrew, why don't you? Yeah, don't you, you, 
Yeah, you, you got you got me thinking about some things. Um, I mean, I, I think from a process standpoint, <clears throat> you know, it's it's interesting, right? Because like you want to be right for, as an analyst, you want to be like right for the right reasons um, all the time, and you can you know be wrong and still make money, and be right and still lose money, <laughs> right? In this industry, when it comes to execution and and so many other factors, I think what's just been really interesting. Um, it's probably the right, the polite way to put it, uh, to see in the last kind of like six to 12 months, it's just, um, you know, these stocks moving and having big moves. Uh, some of them are unexplainable based on the fundamentals, or maybe there's some early fundamental catalysts, right? But then it just gets extrapolated out into, you know, a price that just makes no sense. Um, but, you know, the lack of intellectual honesty and integrity amongst the crowd that's pushing this is, is pretty, you know, it turns me off personally, um, but it's something where I think folks think that they're right. Like, you know, you know, I'm making money. I'm on this stock. I have a thesis and it's going up and it's working and it's great while it's going up. And, but then to your point on me about liquidity on the way down and then all of a sudden it goes down 60, 70%. And then you're like, well, was I really right for the right reasons or you know, was it just confirmation bias because I was just seeing the stock price go up and, you know, price is, you know, the very powerful driver of um, investor psychology. Um, and so you start to kind of create narratives around the price to justify the price increases. Um, you know, like, how do we explain this? And I think it's natural as, you know, humans to kind of seek out that type of justification um, but I think it can be dangerous when it comes to investing and trying to have a, a repeatable process where you, you know, like Palantir or like, you know, Fubo or like some of these are like AMC. You know, you could have these thesis, a thesis. It could be a wrong thesis, right? But it could be a long thesis and the stock goes up and you feel like a genius. But you don't have like the ability to really understand that, you know, you know, you're, it's, the two aren't connected, right? And I think that's kind of where the trap is ultimately for a lot of investors. Um, and it's also, I mean, institutional retail day traders, I mean, it's just everyone has to deal with it. But I think, you know, from an analyst standpoint, like, you know, you want to be able to, you know, set the, know where the guardrails are, you know, frame up the thesis, different scenarios, establish probabilities, and then take it from there. Um, I know, uh, you, you know, with Ark and Kathy, uh, Kathy Wood, and who's actually spoken with Kathy before, she, you know, I, have a, I think highly of her. Um, I think they definitely think differently. And they've established a very unique process that works for them. Um, but I know with Palantir Ami, you've kind of, that's the name that you were negative on, and you kind of got caught up in that whole trade um, late last year into early this year. It's kind of since come in, but I think a lot of, you know, that has to do with what I kind of just laid out in terms of like, what is the thesis? What is this company? Uh, what are people playing it for? So uh, uh, that, that, those were just my thoughts. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll jump into ARC in a sec um, because it is part of this, or at least it's played uh, played a role. Um, but I want to say one, you, you, you brought up other thoughts. I want to say a couple other things, which is I mentioned before, like pump and dump. Um, you might be listening and thinking, yeah, what's wrong with that, dude? Um, 
Well, technically, it because of uh, the amount of average people, regular people, who have lost lots of money um, on pump and dump schemes. Uh, it's the kind of thing that actually is a violation uh, of SEC. It's, it's illegal. So, for example, if you go on Reddit and you're like, GameStop to a billion, I'm long, I'm buying right now. And then within like three ticks, it's up like 6% or whatever it is, right? And you're selling your entire portfolio. That's called pump and dump. I mean, there's like, you, 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 there's, there, are, there are SEC requirements around research. Now, the good news for you, if you did this, don't wor- and you're listening, don't worry, okay? The SEC uh, is, uh, I guess the nice way of saying it is they're really busy with other things. Um, I, I know a CEO who I personally know and don't respect, by the way, a CEO who uh, was a CEO of a public company in 2000, and on June, June, July 3rd of 2000, he sold all of his stock at $40 a share in this one company that he happened to be CEO of a publicly traded company. He had already seen the second quarter results. When he reported second quarter results on July 26, the stock went to three. So he got out, right? He had all the inside information. He got out, sold it all, and the stock went to three afterwards, and the investors got hosed. And this guy still uh, is an avid biker and a happy person and uh, has all that money and never had to give it all back and never went to jail. So, um, so don't worry. The SEC is not going to come knocking tomorrow morning, but definitely don't do it because you risk that the SEC will figure out and come knocking. So um, these things are illegal. And remember with gambling, like with casino, it's fun for like a minute, but the, the, the long-term thing people have learned with the casino is the house always wins. It's not that it's not the gamblers who win is the house. It's wall street. It's not, it's not the average person. So I would say, be very careful. And I'll make one last point on that, which is that a family member of mine who, you know, kind of like has definitely taken some of her assets, retirement assets, and jumped into investing, personal investing and things like that with her own portfolio, she she pushes me sometimes and she's like, oh, this is in, she goes with the crowd and all this kind of stuff. And like, there was definitely a period where I was like scratching my head going like, uh, well, you know, it was nice that I had this career. Maybe, I, maybe I'm done, and I should just like literally just let her manage my money because obviously she was getting things like incredibly right. It was it was didn't last more than a few weeks, but like it was a few weeks where I was scratching my head. Um, and she called me in the beginning of this year, and I knew this was when I kind of knew it was over. She called me um, the night before the Coinbase IPO. And she was like, Ami, this is very important. I need to tell you all about this. You guys need to do this. Coinbase is going public tomorrow. And it was like a breathless pitch on Coinbase. And like, I was just not knowing anything about Coinbase at all. And it really literally might still be the future. But breathless enthusiasm at the crowd level is always a really like scary thing when it comes to stocks. And the answer is always to take a deep breath, push away from the desk and go for a walk and don't touch the dial because that is the most <laughs> dangerous thing. And lo and behold, Coinbase is in half from its first trade. So what I would say is like with stocks, be careful from this category. Now, switching over to ARC uh, for a second, very, very interesting um, 
to to the, the, in the sense that that she fits with this Reddit thing. She is a professional investor, obviously an institutional investor and and such. And they do have like institutional teams of research. So this isn't like a this isn't the same thing. But to the extent there is a similarity, um, she does like it. Does seem that Ark likes to to press on this on almost like a scab of of research from the institutional side and to to really like scratch at it um and to press on that subject matter and typically it's where the entire institutional community has like a negative bias and that works and she it it, it you know there's everyone's either short or no one's long or ignoring or whatever it is and she she presses on that button enough um, she she forces people out of their complacency. She forces people out of their short positions, things like that. Um, in the short term, it can work. Um, and I'll give you an, an example of why I say short term, which is that Palantir uh, is one that they went, obviously they've gone all in on. And uh, we did quite a lot of work around Palantir. And there's some interesting, really like high-tech elements of Palantir. But Palantir's forwardness and their amazingness and their way ahead of everybody-ness, it peaked at around 2011. And by today, it's really not the way to do things. Even the military that has signed up for all kinds of stuff for them, the boiler room people who are the people who actually have to use the tool are op openly say, like, this isn't what we want. This isn't going to help us. This is like entraps us into a system that actually makes us less flexible and not more flexible. And Palantir did a great job of selling the C-suite, selling the lieutenant and the government governor, the, the general level um, on those decisions. But the, And they continue to have that success across the government and, and in some cases at the enterprise level. But there's a reason why they have less than 100 enterprise customers today. It's not the right solution, right? Considering, for example, Snowflake, who's adding you know 500 or 600 enterprise customers per quarter, and this is a company that's been around 17 years and has you know kind of like uh, it doesn't have that many uh, enterprise uh, customers. Did I say 17? It might be less than seven. I think the origins are 17, but like you know the formal start was a couple years after that. Um, so so going, she went after it, which forced people to have some take some decisions around this thing. And, and it's true that on the enterprise side, there's a little bit better adoption now. They've modularized so that instead of trying to sell like a whole, you know, a whole approach, they're selling modules. So there's some elements of it that are interesting. Um, but there's still, and the enterprise side has improved, but the government side has atrophied. So there's a lot here that is just sort of like either barfy or just okay. And in the long term, it is definitely not well positioned in this world. Now, that's kind of like one area. Uh, it's just one stock, uh, but they've definitely bought and bought again and bought like, you know, repeatedly um, with Palantir and they've made that into like a meme stock and Reddit definitely joined in all kinds of things. So um, I think there are good things about Palantir. I think there's also a lot not to like. And I think that it, the, the one of the issues that we found is that the management team talks in such bullish, amazing tones, this is going to blah, 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 change the world, that you can get caught up in that. Whereas when you talk to customers, partners, channel, that kind of thing, this isn't really the kind of solution that is like a growth 
solution, disruptor, lighting it up, new technology that is disrupting the workplace, the environment, taking over the enterprise, and that kind of thing. So I would say um, there are, I guess maybe I just focus maybe too much on Palantir. I can switch into to talk about UiPath, which is a little bit different. Um, UiPath in this case is, I'll just give a kind of like a quick one-liner, and then I'll throw it back to you. But like in the case of UiPath, there is a lot to be excited about with robotic process automation. It is a new, new thing. It did come out of left field since 2017 and has kind of like taken over the world in a big way. 2017 to 2019 had like a huge lightning strike of adoption curve. And there are a lot of uses for RPA going forward into the future. And today, UiPath is the dominant leader in this category. They're winning huge market share and huge incremental market share in this category. However, um, there's, they've decelerated. It's no longer growing 80%. It's growing more like 50% and kind of like rolling into the high 40s now. So, and that's still great, right? But there's, if you're looking at a 40 billion plus market cap for a 600 million plus ARR company, annual uh, recurring revenue company that grows 40% versus 80%, you kind of fill in the gap towards that value a lot slower. So you're going to actually, if you want to make money on the stock, not only do you have to wait a bunch of years for this to sort of fill in what's missing, you know, in terms of like kind of like relative fair value, you get the relative fair value, you're going to have to wait even longer for it to go above and drive upside creation. In fact, if anything, you're, you may be waiting so long that you're going to sit on this position and it's going to be a drag on your portfolio. Now, Kathy's gone long, ARC has gone long, and they're buying because RPA is the future. They want to be part of it. But RPA isn't exactly also the future. There are. It's not like I can tell you for sure that there's no execution. There are huge execution risks in part because RPA is like a bit of a process band-aid that often breaks and that doesn't stay on right. And there are reasons for organizations to use RPA, and there's also reasons for them to be cautious about extending it too far within the organization. And there's also competitive risk now with Microsoft coming in. There are competitive risks with long-time competitor automation anywhere doing a lot better, having rewritten their entire platform, plus they launched a, a partnership with Google. So there are it's, – it's not like I could promise you that 10 years from now this thing is huge. It actually might be garbagey over that period of time. And that's why with risk, we always try to mitigate against opportunity sets, against rate of growth, against – and the rate of growth determines a lot on how much risk you're willing to shoulder. Deceleration is sometimes an indicator that there's something about the product solution that meets the market and also creates friction with the market. And that friction is something that these products can at times solve and then reaccelerate. But also, there are, there are, those, sometimes those are fail points that either close the market or, or worse, open it to someone else, like a Microsoft coming in, for example. And I'll just point out, last point on RPA, is that RPA is expensive for what it is. You get this you know, kind of like point and click and, and record your actions and then you know, kind of set it and run it. Um, but then on top of that, you've got to go and host this somewhere because UiPath is not like a tra traditional SaaS company. They don't host your, your software for you. Even their cloud license, they don't host it for you. You've got to go host it somewhere else. You've got to pay. So if you're paying $8,000 a year for a license from 
UiPath, you've got to go then pay $1,200 to Amazon and go host it there for infrastructure as a service. And you've got to have, there's a lot of breakage, as I mentioned before, so you've got to have people trained on it and maintaining it and, and the knowledge center and all kinds of things. And there's all kinds of expense around that. So, which is, which is fine for the enterprise level. It just narrows the ROI. It means that the wins have to be big enough to justify the spending. And if you have a Microsoft coming in who's like, hey, we're making $1,200 on the infrastructure as a service license for the year. We'll just charge an extra 500 or 1000 whatever the whatever the price will be as they mature or give it away free as part of our Microsoft 365 uh, license. Um, you're, you may create a, a adoption pain points, friction pain points with UiPath, which slow them even further to a 25% year over year growth, which is still great, like thinking about that over the long term. But like, it's just, you know, if it's a $40 billion market cap already today, that's kind of like, that takes out your like 10 year view. So you kind of have to own this thing for 25 years to make money. Kathy's okay with that, I guess. ARC is okay with that. They're making a bet that it's going to, I guess, reaccelerate and go the other direction. It'll be growing 100% year over year within a couple of quarters. And if that's the case, I'll be wrong and ARC will be right. So that's kind of like how I see this sort of like Reddit, ARC trade a little bit hand in glove together. Sorry if I went on a little bit too long about that. No, no, that was great. No, thank you. Um, yeah, look, I, I think as far as ARC goes, um, you know, I, I think about it maybe a little bit less thesis-driven, more technically. Um, you know, it was interesting. Like, I think if you go back to 2019, you know, I, I, I don't believe they owned Roku. Um, but if we look at their holdings and what they bought and the fund flow dynamics over the course of 2020, you know, it became one of their largest positions. And the timing of when they started accumulating the stock really happened in the middle of last year. And it's just interesting to, to see like these, the reflexivity kick in, right. Where all of a sudden everyone's starting to track arcs holdings. Um, and Ami, wasn't there, and I can't remember that there was a big growth fund, right. A, a mutual fund complex. I um, believe it began with the J uh, back in, was it like the nineties or like early two thousands that was on like a, you know, a 10 year, um, growth tear, um, but eventually kind of had a falling out and, you know, ran into liquidity issues because as they got larger and larger, they didn't close the fund. And so they were had, you know, had to actually deviate from their process and own larger names that, that just had more liquidity to it. Do you remember that? Well, that's a brilliant comparison because that's exactly, <laughs> they had the, the arc approach. And I yeah. was going to say, it's almost like arc drives stocks to what you could call their bubble conclusion. Like, meaning with a bubble valuation approach, which can be right from a certain perspective, right? Bubbles come and they go. But from, with, from within the bubble, they drive the valuation of the stock to its, like, all-time conclusion. Like, if you waited 10 or even 20 years, this is what you could get. So let's take it there now. And they drive it there, and it reaches that conclusion point, which is great on the way up, right? But then you're, you create these overhangs in the marketplace, and to your point, that, that fund that you're talking about, that, that, I think it's Denver-based fund, if I'm, we're thinking about the right one together, but they, um, <laughs> they, um, uh, they literally, for the next 10 years after the 2000 bubble ended, Every other mutual fund pointed at them 
in, in their marketing. And we're like, well, we're not like them. We didn't get too far out over our skis. Or they would say things like, well, we only had one of our products get like them too far out over their skis. Um, that's the term that was used. And then um, in the last eight years, we've been in like a lean in, right? So you're, you're running, you use this gravity thing, especially with a, a, a Colorado skiing location. But like sometimes it's bad to be too far over your skis. And sometimes you got to lean forward and get over your skis, right? Um, and that has worked in the last eight years. And maybe it'll still work over the next, I don't know, few months, a year. I don't know. It's like I'm not calling a cop in that. But like, or, or maybe it's behind us. But um, but that it can be a very dangerous uh, approach. And and by the way, institutional investors like it's not like we're these um, uh, Scrooge <laughs> type of people who are misanthropic and hate the world. And but it's we've all come up with we've all started as in the from the Peter Lynch seat and the Warren Buffett seat. Right? We've come at the world from those perspectives, and we've applied and applied and applied. And like Newton, we've put our hands, we've tested theories, and we find found failure in those theories. And we've learned from our failures, and we've squared with those failures, and we've learned nuance. So you were always right. It's just, I guess my point is that, like, if you want to get long something that the institutional world hates, you can be right if there's a major sea change happening that everyone else is asleep on. And that happens from time to time. But more likely, you're gonna ca- if you're right, you're going to catch a trade. So just don't fall in love. Take your trade, say thank you very much, and get out. That's kind of my thought process. Well, I think that's actually a great place to end on. I mean, let's have anything else to add, but that's a great piece of advice. Um, and uh, if you have anything else, go for it. Otherwise, I think we'll wrap it up. No, that's, that's it for me. Okay. Well, thank you, Ami. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and catch you back here next time. Take care. The preceding has been presented for informational purposes only. None of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or investment vehicle, nor does it constitute an investment recommendation or legal tax accounting or investment advice by Hedgeye or any of its employees, officers, agents, or guests. This information is presented without regard for individual investment preferences or risk parameters and is general, non-tailored, non-specific information. This content is based on information from sources believed to be reliable. Hedgeye is not responsible for errors, inaccuracies, or omissions of information. The opinions and conclusions contained in this report are those of the individual expressing those opinions and conclusions and are intended solely for the use of Hedgeye's subscribers and the authorized recipients of the content. All investments entail a certain degree of risk, and financial instrument prices can fluctuate based on several factors, including those not considered in the preparation of the content. Consult your financial professional before investing. The information contained herein is protected by United States and foreign copyright laws and is intended solely for the use of its authorized recipient. Access must be provided directly by Hedgeye. Redistribution or republication is strictly prohibited. For more detail, please refer to the Terms of Service at hedgeye.com terms of service.